0: Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Fantastic. If you're new today, welcome, welcome. We don't normally have fans going through the service, but uh, uh, we had a power outage uh, late in the week. I don't think they got around to resetting it, but it seems like it's coming good. If you are new, we'd love to buy you a new buy you a new buy you a cup of coffee uh, after the service espresso, flat white, long black, whatever suits you. We'd just love to sit down and talk with you and hear your story and welcome you to this place. We're doing a um, a series that really has been one dear to my heart. It's a series about the heart, and uh, I've been using it to exercise my own thoughts as well over the last uh, few months. But really, distilling something that's been rattling around in my little brain for the last 15 or so years is what does it actually take for someone to live the God life? What is the God life? And if I said to you this morning that, well, welcome to church now. God needs to tell you that he's expecting 10 more hours of your week and 20% of your income. Um, So it's almost like we charge you admission to come. And uh, this is the responsibility of all Christians. You feel the guilt of that you feel the load of that? You know, if I told you that your morality matters, if you're smoking, if you've got a tattoo or a body piercing, such of these can't enter the kingdom of God. That's been said before in church life. and uh, But the weight of that, is that what God requires? The Pharisees wanted this. They came with that legal mindset, that rules mindset. And they asked Jesus directly, what law matters? What really, come on, what's, what's the law that matters? So it was a legal question, he gave them a legal answer. Well, if you insist on asking me without paradigm, I'll I'll match you on it, Two obscure laws that they would never have quoted, love God, love people. So we grab that with our religious mindset and go, huh, now it's only two laws we've got to keep now, not 600 anymore, but you better keep them. You better keep them. And so with our religious mindset, we can still produce the same they call it a boundary marker mentality, boundary marker religion. It says we can tell who's in and who's out. There's a circle here and we know who's in because they don't have tattoos and body piercings. They don't ride Harley Davidson motorcycles and they don't smoke. Uh, When I became a Christian in the 80s, they were the boundary markers. You don't swear at work, you don't have posters up on your wall. You can tell who's a Christian and who's not. Now most women I know have got tattoos and body piercings and ride Harley Davidson. So it's like, well, what what do we do now? All the boundary markers, not the Harley Davidsons, but the other two for sure. So it's like, well, what's, what's required? What does God really want of us? And um, this whole thing has exercised me for many years because that religious mindset is what we do when we're lacking what Jesus actually promised. If you look at what he actually came to do, what he actually came to say, if you read the scriptures through the lens of what Jesus was about, they came one step closer when they said, Jesus, what's the work?" that God requires. They pulled the law out of the question, what's the work that God requires? And Jesus said, oh, that's even simpler. Just believe in the one who he has sent, John chapter 6. And so, it, but it's still the wrong question. The, the question presupposes that God requires something of you, whereas Jesus came to meet all that. But you look at what Jesus' heart was. What did he do? What did he say? He said, I've come to give you life I've come to set you free. I've come to get you the prisoners out of bondage. I've come to release your heart to get that stuff out of there and give you freedom, to give you life. Have you ever said, you might have said this or heard someone religious say, aren't Christians supposed to do better than that? You know, surely they're not supposed to do that stuff. Because we judge each other by our actions, but ourselves by by our intentions, don't we? And it's like, well, we know when we do it, we didn't mean it, we didn't think in advance, but when someone else does it, how could they possibly do that? It's, it's religious mindset, and we can all come under the threat of this. And so we need to boil this down to a different thing, because I think in the absence of the true, a true renewal of heart and a true sense, a true experience of God, and this is harder in one way. It's easier in a religious thing context to say, here's the rules, just stick to the rules. And for centuries, that's really worked really powerfully to control large groups of people through fear and judgment. You can do that. But it doesn't, the rules don't save anyone. And it's, it doesn't correlate with what Jesus actually promised. But we make up these boundary markers in the absence of the freedom within. And you'll notice whenever there's a revival movement, whenever there's renewal of heart, something shifts from, from a rules focus to a heart focus, and something regenerates inside the spirit of a person, and now they can't help but fulfill what religion makes an obligation and so it's reflexive it's recreational because the spirit's empowering that and that's closer to what is the Christian norm and so for weeks now we've been really looking at the heart of these things but I've got a new infographic you know me I just love sharing infographics so um, let me just really quickly bounce off this and bounce out again to talk about this in a theological framework because unless our minds are aligned with this, we won't want to respond to it. But once we sit there and go, ah, oh, yeah, that rings true, we're a lot more likely to, um, to buy into that. So just whack the first one up there if we can. These, these are outer markers, and we can all agree that there are certain things that Christian folk are supposed to be about. If, if it's all working right on the inside, and as I say, that's the harder thing, is to have it happen on the inside. It's easier just to tell you the rules. Uh, now, if that gets too loud and we're still... Cool enough, we can shut those doors now, but uh, see how we go. I don't want, to, don't want us to lose focus right now on what I'm getting to here. Those, those boundary markers that are up there, they're acceptable. They're issues of morality, maturity and mission. This is what people would say if it's all going well inside, this is the fruit that we should be about. Our morality, we, we, we know ethics, we basically aim on a trajectory of knowing what's right and we gravitate that way. We have maturity in the sense of the fruit of the Spirit, the, the fruit being fruitfulness, not what we now call faithfulness, which used to be a fruit of the Spirit, in, but in a, in a mindset where freedom has gone, we bounce back to faithfulness instead of fruitfulness, and faithfulness equals that which I can produce in my own strength. rather than It used to be a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. It's, it's in the list there. Faithfulness is a fruit of faith. It's a fruit of the freedom that comes within. But in the absence of the freedom, faithfulness becomes what we do. Boundary markers. We do what we're told. We live in that outer space there and that's, and that's the way we operate. Jesus said uh, faithfulness is supposed to come from within. He said, look, you can tell a state of a tree by the, by, the, by the fruit. The fruit connects to the root. It's supposed to be connected. But the Pharisees, they broke that. And they, they, could, they could do whatever they want outwardly and it was to be no reflection on what's happening on the inside. But Jesus says, you're just like whitewashed tombs, guys. You're worshipping me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He said, you can't disconnect these two things. And so morality and then maturity and the fruit of the Holy Spirit and then missionality, I think I've made that word up, but missionality is advancing the gospel of the kingdom. So that's what it's supposed to look like when it's all going right. But if we just try and do that in the absence of this, then it just becomes works again and we've just become... Uh, religious full of boundary markers so how do we determine the root how do we get this freedom because this is the the biggest question that gets asked of me now that's all very well pat we get that but how do you fix this thing well we're going to get to that we're going to start that now how do we determine the root the first thing we should go to is rather than define it too closely is say what actually is it that jesus came to give and what is it that human beings the architecture of a human soul what is it that we need Really, if we boil it right down, what are the raw radical roots, the radical element, that that root that springs forth? What is that in you and I? And I went through it a little bit last year. And if you haven't been with us um, uh, in November, December last year, I'll just recap them quickly. They're relationship, liberty, and purpose. These three core drivers in the human soul. So, relationship is connection with people and with God. We're made. We're not made to be islands. We can't function. We're complementary beings. We're interdependent beings. We only become truly who we are in the context of, of other people and with life God, a connection with God. It's dynamic. It's real. We have to live from God, not just for God. Liberty is freedom. I'm not obliged to the slave drivers in my life that whip me for ambition or whip me to need to look attractive or have the right job or possessions or, or be bound up in my addictions. I, I need to be free of that. And this whole idea of liberty has driven the greatest revolutions that human history has, has documented. It drives democracy. It's this need, I must have, choice. And freedom in the human soul says I'm free from the bondage to all the addictions and all the, all the brokenness and trauma that's impacted on me since my childhood. I'm free of that. I'm, an, I'm a free soul. And the human, the human psyche will drive for that. Third one's purpose. We need to, we need to have, do something that matters. This is the greatest... Notable uh, issue in Western life now. Because on the lower scale of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, we've got shelter, it's pretty hard to go hungry in Australia, we've got a strong welfare system. So we're not struggling to survive, but we're struggling to have purpose. We're more likely to not pray, Father, uh, give us today our daily bread, we're more likely to pray, give me a reason to get out of bed. You know, depression hopelessness, anxiety from choice. They're the big things now that are rattling inside of the human soul in the Western context. But the human soul needs purpose and God offers and gives purpose. So when we're looking at what happens on the heart, we've got to say, if God is who God says he is and if he cares the way he does, if he's designed us the way he's designed us, they're the things he's going to meet and when they're met, something's going to happen to make the fruit bear. So I call these heart markers. These are the things now that... If we engage with those elements, those core elements of the human soul, we engage with God and he meets those needs, then something happens in me and I'm free and I'm powerful and I have purpose to fulfil his calling. So these three heart markers come up on the screen now. They're faith, freedom and followership. Faith, and if you're aware of Watchman Nee's fantastic old work on uh, called Sit, Walk, Stand... I've used those same icons because nothing's changed under the sun. It's just that we need to remember them and revisit them once again. It's, it's a, the whole book of Ephesians is wrapped up in these three elements of what we get through a close union with Christ. We sit with him. We're relying on him. We're sitting on him, literally relying on God to give us the relationship that we need. Our relational needs are met through this weird thing called faith. I come to him in faith. I'm relying on him. And through faith, grace comes to us through faith. Ephesians 2.10 says, Ephesians 2.8 says, um, grace is enabled through faith. And when I have that faith exercised, I connect with God through, into relationship again and I can live from God. Um, followership is where my purposes are found in him and I activate that through listening, through following and obeying and I can get aligned with his purpose. Jesus said, he did this for us. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear him saying. It's really simple. It's this submitted heart to the purposes of God primarily in our life, followership. And when we do that, purpose is activated. Freedom. That's uh, the whole aspect of um, liberty from God turns to freedom. So once I'm empowered by His Spirit, the traumas of my life and the hurts and the loneliness and the aches and all the things that, that rattle and bother me when my head hits a pillow and it's just me and Him are met by Him and I'm truly free. I'm not sure how many of us have actually experienced His freedom. The stats, and there's been very well-credible and documented stats on on spiritual maturity about how small that ratio is in Western life, that we actually understand and experience freedom, that we're not addicted, that we're not broken anymore, that Jesus can come and set us free. And as I said, this is harder in one sense but easier in another. It's easier to say, no, stick to the rules and do it this way because we know it's all clear then. But if I start saying, particularly to, to men, Australian men, South African men, there's a few in the room, love you guys. But it's like, dude, don't go there. Don't go there with the heart stuff. I don't do the heart stuff, right? Just I'll, I'll get to work, I'll, I'll do whatever you require. Tell me the rules, tell me how hard to jump and I'll jump. Say left, turn right, whatever, I'll do it. But leave my heart alone. But this is the one thing that God wants. Many of us have been broken through our childhood. We've been set crummy models by parents. Some good models, we've still got to get fixed up. It's okay. It's just normal life. But the God life begins in your heart. It's no use just functioning for God if the form's empty. What's driving your spirit? We can't escape that true spirituality, true Christianity is a heart issue. You've got to let him in. You've got to let him go to work. And when you do, it's okay. You can be vulnerable. You can let people see. You can talk it through in community. And it can set you free. And then life never looks the same. When you get that boulder off your shoulder of yourself, of having to look a certain way, having to do a certain thing, when that's gone, I tell you, that is freedom. All right, so contrast what I said earlier about this burden of you've got to do this for God, you've got to do this for God. Contrast it to this statement from Jeremiah. This is a guy... He's, the, he's the, the sole and un, most unpopular voice in Israel. And you read what he's saying up there. I will not mention his word or speak... If, oh, sorry, if I say, I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire that shuts up in my bone. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He must speak. And you look at what's driving him. Everything, all the arrows of life are pushing him back and saying, whatever you do don't speak. It's going to cost your life. But he's saying, if I do this, I'm going to die. I've got this fire inside and I've got to get it out. And so despite persecution, he could not hold his tongue. So he wasn't being driven by externals here, was he? The externals were pushing him back. He's being driven from in his heart. There's something on fire in his heart he was missional by compulsion. It was a fruit of his life. All the boundary markers were there. No one liked them at the time because they went against what the, everyone else was doing. But he just couldn't help but bear this fruit. And there's this fire in him of holy discontent. And I wonder if you know this fire. I wonder if you've ever known this fire. I annoy people all the time when they get too close to me because I, I had this. I'm just urgent, and I know it's out of control sometimes. But I. But this sense of urgency for the kingdom we just got to get out of bed we just got to get this stuff done for goodness sake why aren't we all motivated you know this fire when it's there you can't put this sucker out like i'm actually an apathetic uh, phlegmatic soul if i'm if i'm truly honest you know it's it was the day i got saved this thing happened to me and i be how else could, could i be a christian pastor cyclist the most hated person on the planet on a Sunday morning <laughs> is a Christian pastor who's, on a, who's cycling. We're no longer human. We're these objectified, horrible people who are just blocking everyone's path on the road and they can't be human. I must run them over, you know. It's like, when Jeremiah was like that, and, and he, but it, it just, he had this fire in his bones. He just had to get on his bike and ride, you know. He, he couldn't stop the guy. And there's something about fire. That's why I was sort of happy it was so hot in here before. Just to remind us that this fire is, is like a, the burning bush. It was from fire that God called Moses and said, Moses, you know, that, that thing that's irritating you, it irritates me too. I'm sending you to go in and fix that and get my people free. It was the fire in the wilderness that led them. Remember that? It's always fire that guides us. It's fire in Acts chapter 2 where, where they just the, the flames come in their head and they can't keep their mouths quiet. Acts chapter 4 where they're full of the Holy Spirit, there's fire on the roof this time and they go and speak the word of God boldly. There's something about fire and calling. It's not an obligation, it's an honour. It's an honour to serve, it's an honour to pay a price. You don't look for reasons why you can't do it, you're looking for the opportunities where you can. And there's just, it's an inversion of the human soul. And uh, I tell you, religion is a shocking spectator sport and it's a, even worse uh, if it comes from obligation where you're just doing what you have to do. Man, don't, don't rob yourself of life. Allow God to go to work on your heart. How do you do that? Let's give you a few things today. I'll, I'll put it in the email this week because we're doing this 40 days of prayer uh, challenge and uh, many of us are doing that and it's just, it's just working us over as God starts on us uh, before he starts bearing other fruits. Some great stories coming out. But I, I used the PBS analogy in the acronym in the email this week. About how you grow in this followership. How do you learn? How do you exercise your soul to get this followership marker going? First one was PAUSE. So it was PBS. I, I bounced off the old network in the US here because I thought it would be. Well, that's a prescription. What's the scheme? Pharmaceutical benefit scheme. Okay, so it's a powerful benefit scheme. It's, I'll, I'll make up something really great about that. PBS. So you, first, before you get to action, because the religious part of us will go, let's fix that. It's like husbands, when, when our wives start to talk about their problems, we want to just fix that. And no, just pause, just listen. We don't need a solution here right now. We just need some connection here. So just pause for a moment. When you see something, you pause and you listen and you look with God's eyes and, and you start to say, Father, what are you thinking about this situation? So this becomes now a discipline in your life. As you're walking through the supermarkets or, or through your home or, or at your workplace, you see a situation but you adopt Jesus' eyes, Jesus' is, and you just pause. Say, Father, what do you think of this? What's your will for this situation? And then you just, you just listen, because every moment in your life is a mission field. Every moment, whether it's here or, or outside. And be confident, because God wants to use you. We just need to learn to listen. So you pause first, and the B obviously stands for the burn. Then you allow yourself to be immersed in it. See, if you have a problem and you lack empathy the best thing you can do is to immerse yourself in it. If you've got a fear, sometimes the best thing you can do is immerse yourself in that thing that you fear. Most of us have a fear of death. i found the best solution to that is to hang around people who are passing away. It, it cures that. It takes away the separateness. And you say, no, it's, it's, it's a natural part of life is, is passing away. The same as with this whole thing of, of the kingdom come now. It's a matter of, okay, Lord, there's, a, there's an issue here. What do you think of that? What's your heart for that? And you allow yourself to begin to burn. And you do that by getting to know the name of the person who's affected. You get to know their story. You get to know their life. And you interact with them. And you touch them. And you pray for them. And you talk to them. And you email them. And you, you begin a dialogue. You begin, and that begins to burn. It's personal now. This is you and me now. Let's pray about this together. You know, and if you're not a believer, I've got enough faith for you. Let's just let's get God to work on this thing. And you begin to burn. And then you can get to this, the issue of solving it. And you say, Father, now what's the answer? And you ask him for help. And it might be ideas or networks or provision, whatever it is. But the, the Lord will have a plan for you to get involved in that. Now i worked this out. Um, probably my clearest example was, uh, many of you know, I, I did, was working in Africa for some years through a, a charity that we started up over there. That began, I, I was over there through misadventure more than anything. I had no idea why I was there. I was just, I was just in Africa, uh, completely out of my depth, and um, was uncomfortable, didn't he get on a plane. And I was in, in a room that was about uh, 15 feet square, tin, tin shack in the middle of a slum. And it was there that God actually did speak to me quite clearly. He says, I remember these people, I want you to remember these people. Long story around that and, and I just knew I'd, I was helpless. I was hopeless, I didn't know what I could do, had no resources, just knew something was connected there. Got to know the people, got to know the families, went on home aware I could do nothing about that but just paused and just began to burn just with those names. Couldn't do anything, I had no more money than the rest of us That's it's a limitless problem over there. And then one day, a few weeks later, a friend of mine came and he had the same experience in a different country in Africa, a neighbouring country. He had the same experience. And so we just sat there and we burned together. What are we going to do about this? Don't know. Let's go back and find out. So we flew back over there with a couple more friends, still had no sense of calling, just knew that this was a problem for us. And so you see the process. Allow yourself to go through the journey of God's calling. Don't sit, wait and just say, well, God, let me know what your calling is for my life. Now you start to get involved because he speaks to us through the relationships, through the, the situation. And then when we went over there, it just became obvious that we should start a charity. What else do you do? Let's start our own charity. So the four of us just started this thing called Droplets in a Stream. Simple as that. We had no idea what we were going to do. And then over the years, it just grew. become became a bike ride that would raise 10 or 20 or 40 or $50,000 every time we did a bike ride. Or, um, and it's just continued to grow. It was on SBS um, a couple of months ago. Um, I've since pulled out because I sensed my time was over for that part of the the work but these guys are still motoring they're they're raising I I think it's something like uh, 500,000 a year or more now for this charity it just came from pausing and, and listening and just Father just keep opening those doors these are normal people just like you and I normal people just saying Father what are you saying and then when he says something we say yes and the world changes from that every one of us can be missional so you just do life, you listen with his ears, you allow it to burn, and then let God come up with a solution. I love Nehemiah's story with this, just love Nehemiah. I'm sure the guy was a bit dysfunctional, to be honest, like, I really relate to his OCD, he was just uber focused, you know, but he was a, he was a guy living a nightmare, he's living an absolute nightmare, all his people had been removed from their homeland, Israel, and dropped in... To, to Babylon and four empires later, four kings later, here's Nehemiah. I don't think Nehemiah had ever really lived in Israel but now he hears a story um, and, and it, he's serving the king and the, this is the king who's keeping his people from their home. This is the king who's forcing them to, to live by other religions and all this other, it was, it was, a, it was chaos and he, here he is serving this king as a cupbearer. and he could have poisoned that cup He could have killed the king at any time, but he found a way to have himself so trusted in that context and God had placed him there. So we pick it up in Nehemiah 1 verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. But when I heard these things, and listen to this bit, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And you can start to see in this guy, there's, something's triggered in my homeland. This is where all my purpose lies in this thing. And for you, all your purpose lies in God. All your purpose lies in his mission for your life. And when people tell us that the kingdom's taken a hit, when churches are closing down, when it's all going wrong... Should our response be to sit down and to weep? Say, this should not be. Father, this situation, that you said the kingdom is advancing. Surely this is something we need to grapple with. And so he began to burn and he sought God. And, and, and when he sensed a plan and a strategy, he took it back to the king. But it, was, it wasn't just days later. He didn't just have a bad day then go and reflect on the king. This was three or four months later. The king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. You can see how this burden is crippling the guy. He's allowed it to burn and it's just got hold of him. He said, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king. Note that normally we say when we feel that fear, that's our sign not to say something. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king. Because courage works in the presence of fear. The Bible never condones fear. Not once does it condone it but there's an understanding that well in the presence of my fears I'm going to proceed anyway. In the presence that someone's going to ridicule me, in the presence that someone's going to say no, in the presence of the fact that it might break a relationship, I've got to give this thing a go because I'm burning. I'm burning and that's what courage begins to look like. He goes on, may the king live forever. Interesting phrase that one. The king will never live forever but I guess it was a blessing. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? The king's been around, hey? It's like, no one says a line like that unless there's something else coming. What's coming? What's coming? What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. He had this plan, was birthed in prayer, and he makes the big ask. You ever done one of that? It's like, man, okay, here we go. And it's just like, shouldn't have got a positive out of that. It's like, no, I need you as my cupbearer, man. I've been training you for years. But the king ends up buying into this whole thing. The reality is, and you probably know the story, he went back, he faced fierce opposition, his life was in danger, they had a pick in one hand and a sword in the other, and they were just. it was just under pressure the whole time but you're like that you're a cupbearer. you're like Nehemiah you're serving the kingdom or the empire that that keeps keeps us in bondage so to speak it's like I don't know whether you've noticed yet but the world isn't for the church as a whole legislation's coming against us culture's coming against us lobby groups are coming against us and our workplaces are like serving that empire Unless we want to flip our mindset and say, this is my mission field, this cupbearer, I can choose to poison the king or I can choose to bless the king and let him be a part of God's plan for my life. I can make this workplace. I can make this community. I can pray. I can show courage and I can get in there and I can let this thing burn and, and partner with God through this thing and just see what can come out of this. This is a life with Jesus. This is followership you see how different that is to being told what to do you've got to come to church on sunday you've got to give your money you've got to behave yourself then we go away and we suffer the double shame of not being able to do it and then feeling guilty for it as well but we can't talk about it because we think everyone else is doing better than us so then we become hypocrites So it's a triple whammy or we could do what jesus sort of promised, requires courage, requires uh, heart dedication, requires experience, but this is the kingdom that he's invited us to partake in. He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to baptize you in fire. He said, I didn't come so you could behave yourself better. It didn't work in the old, it's not working in the new. don't know whether you've noticed that or not. He said, I came to baptise you with fire, to let your heart so burn you won't put up, let up or shut up until Jesus takes you up. This is the kingdom life. This is normal. You brave enough for that? Don't answer too quickly. On that <laughs> but this is what I'm about. This is what this church is about. So sort of heads up on the way in if, if you're new. But our, our mantra here is we're filling hearts fueling mission we're confronting this heart stuff as gently and as graciously as we know but i'm just too old for religion i was too old at 20 for religion to be honest it's just never worked for me but this fire thing that i understand where god can take a broken kid from the streets of penrith and you know turn my life around that's the normal christian life let's pray as the band comes up let's pray, let's close our eyes and just come before God can I ask us all to stand just indulge me for a moment let's all stand before him because we've been confronted with a a different option today to allow him to come in and burn in our hearts it's different from just playing the game so Father there is no judgement about this message it's an invitation to abundant life free of slave drivers free of pride and free of ambition and free of having to look and do a certain thing and yet father i just want to really acknowledge that as i present the reality of this fire the presence of fear wants to come up against it and this idol of fear that we have we want to we want to consult that first but i want to let you know that the holy spirit gives you courage the holy spirit gives you counsel The Holy Spirit gives you everything that you need to be God's man or woman wherever you are, every moment of the day. Right in the presence of fear. And there's nothing more fun than trampling on on that which you fear out of raw courage and a heart on fire. So if you want to be that man and woman of fire, maybe just place your hand on your heart because Jesus promised he baptised you with fire. So Holy Spirit, set a fire again in the hearts of each of us. For all those willing to say yes. And for those who need to contemplate that call, Lord, I bless that. I bless that. Let them consider. Let them consider what it means to be what you've offered us. But Father, we come before you in reverence in this sacred moment. the presence of God who knocks at the door which has a handle on the other side and only we can open that and if you want to open the door to that fire then, then you just open that in your own heart you just picture yourself opening that door and let him in come and set fire to our hearts Lord let the fire burn come Holy Spirit if you'd like some people to pray with you more after the service, please come and do that over to your left after the service. I'd just love to come and invite and just pray more of the Holy Spirit in your life.